This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and I've got with me today from the Flying Illini, Stephen Bardo, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Brett. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, how long has it been since you've heard your introduction as the Flying Illini, Stephen Bardo? Has it been a while? It's been quite a while. I mean, you, know, you mean when I was in Jersey, it was in the Jersey, or like just people recognize me for that? Uh, for the all the above, man. All the above. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it goes, uh, it comes and goes, and it's been uh, it's been a wonderful ride and. Uh, you know, being associated with a team that great uh, just has so many benefits that I've been trying to take advantage of ever since we stopped playing. Absolutely. Well, I just sent you a little bit ago that, that picture of you and I from 1989, the Final Four luncheon. So I've got a kick out of those. I've got a, a little photo album, I guess, it's at my parents' house. And uh, they'll send me one when they see somebody's going to be on the podcast. And so you and Kendall Gill. And so it's great to reminisce about those days growing up in Mattoon, Illinois, and just south of Champaign. And so it's uh, fun to have you on here and talk a little basketball and talk a little life. So why don't you just kind of give our listeners a little glimpse of who Stephen Bardo is? You obviously grew up in Carbondale, Illinois, and in Southern Illinois part there. And why don't you just tell us what's uh, helped make you the man you are today? You know, Brett, I was very fortunate because we can't choose our parents. And, um, you know, I, I have 25- and 18-year-old sons, so I know how difficult it is to raise healthy, loving uh, children. And so I was very fortunate uh, to have the parents that I did, uh, Dr. Harold and Lana, Bardo. Um, they were no nonsense, very, very loving, very supportive, but also very strict. And my older brother and older sister and I, they found that uh, if they could figure out a way to get our hook, then they could, you know, get us to do what we wanted, <laughs> what they wanted us to do. And that hook for us, all three of us ended up being sports because, uh, you know, my dad, uh, Dr. Bardo, played at SIU, Southern Illinois University in the late 50s, early 60s. And so sports has always been an integral part of his life. And, uh, you know, he knew that it would benefit us as kids growing up, not only being physically fit, but just all the life lessons that you learn through sports. And I just very fortunate uh, to play almost every sport imaginable, track, football, baseball, basketball, soccer, uh, you name it. Uh, I, I probably did it. And so, you know, I'm just a guy that was very fortunate um, to have a very supportive family structure, uh, very supportive, disciplined parents that gave me the opportunity to grow and learn through a life uh, filled with sports. And I've you know, just been very, very blessed to have this path. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, a lot of our athletes that have been on here in the past, we've talked about the, the kids' sports today versus when – when you and I were growing up, it's a little different, right? We we didn't we played lots of sports, as you just said. I I played tons of sports myself, but it seems like now more and more kids are playing one sport. What's your What are your thoughts about that? I don't like it uh, because I think that what happens is when you go and play baseball, but you're a quote unquote basketball player, you have to adjust. You know, there, there's different personalities, there's different things that you have to pick up on. Um, in order to take advantage of the opportunity. And so I, I just think I learned so much having to transition sports. You know, Brett, from just a physical standpoint, we look at it, to be able to cross-train and to use different parts of your body and not have so much repetitive motion, I think that's what happens when we see a lot of kids get hurt early in their careers, maybe at the end of high school, at the beginning of college, because they've been playing one sport, they're doing repetitive motion for four to five years on a developing body, I don't think that's good. And so uh, I know that youth sports has been uh, monetized. Uh, there's a cottage industry for recruiting in various sports at grade school and high school level. And so like a lot of things in this country, uh, it's fallen by the wayside due to the almighty dollar, and I, I don't like it. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, you see whether it's pitching or, you know, the basketball players with knee injuries now. I mean, you look at all that and it's just competitive wear and tear on the body. That, that's that's never good for anybody. Oh, what was it like at your house? I mean, your house growing up, I mean, being the athlete you became, and, and uh, we'll dive into it here in a little bit. I want to talk about talent versus hard work. I know that's a passion of yours. And, but, what, you know, what was it your your parents instilled in you to be great and to get that hard work ethic? And, and what advice would you give parents today for their kids with sports? Well, my dad, he kind of had a, a, a double whammy over us kids because not only was he a former Division One basketball player, student athlete, he also was a professor in educational psychology. And so he understood how the mind works. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, he he was able to identify – certain opportunities through sports uh, that, you know, maybe he didn't necessarily get along with the coach but knew that it would be a good uh, situation for me. And so I, I really applaud him for that because it's, it's really difficult sometimes for parents to put their kids into a situation where they may not agree philosophically with the coach's uh, direction. They may not agree with how they treat the kids. But my father was um, – I don't want to say mature enough, but he was of the mindset that he knew that I needed to be in certain situations where the coach didn't like me, where uh, maybe I wasn't the, the best player on the team, where I wasn't the favorite on the team. He knew that those life situations were going to happen. And so the best way to, to, to learn those early was through sports. And so, uh, you know, it, and he would wrap around life lessons through sports. So if I was pouting because I lost and, you know, if I didn't support my teammates or, you know, if, um, you know, I want to blow off practice or whatever. He always had a response or rebuttal that seemed very uh, appropriate at the time. And so, you know, my, my mom and dad did, a, I, I thought, a fabulous job of just taking, you know, the dynamics of sports and all that come with it. And they were able to wrap around their principles and values around sport and utilize those particular situations to really instill life lessons. And, you know, and also me being the baby of the family, you know, the youngest are the ones that have to fight the hardest to keep up, you know, to do all these different things. And so I think uh, me being the youngest coupled with my parents utilizing sports as a way to wrap around life lessons through different scenarios uh, was masterful. And, I, you know, I'm just a huge beneficiary of that process. That's great. That's great. So let's talk about now. You fast forward. You you did all this stuff with your you know childhood. And now you go to the University of Illinois, and uh, you're going to be a freshman playing for the Fighting Illini. And I've heard you say once somewhere that you know you you weren't the most talented kid on the team, uh, but you certainly worked uh, harder than anybody else on the team. And, and you fought your way into a starting position midway through your freshman year. Talk about that because I, you talked about hard work versus talent. Right. We all know the quote that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Um, what, what's that mean to you when you think about hard work versus talent? I think just to look at my beginnings, you know, when you come from Southern Illinois and you're having to compete against kids from Chicago and Peoria and East St. Louis and Indianapolis, you know, bigger metropolitan areas, there's a certain level of humbleness that comes from when you when you come from a Carbondale, Illinois, and you come onto a national stage like the University of Illinois in the Big Ten. Uh, and so my dad always took a counter approach to what I think a lot of parents would have done. He, he asked me, he said, you know, what, are your, what do you want to do with this opportunity? He said, I know you want to, you know, you want to play, but do you want to play as a, as a freshman? Do you want to start? You know, he was very specific about the questions and goals that I had. And so I said, Dad, I want to, I want not only want to play, I want to start like now because I'm not used to not starting. He said, right. okay, here's what you do. He said, whatever the preseason conditioning drills are, you win them all. You get in the weight room and you outwork your teammates. And when you get in the, when you get on the floor and practice, take care of the basketball and play defense. He said, they've got guys that can score. That's not going to be your role as a freshman. Maybe not even, as a sophomore, but if you will defend like your life depends on it, if you will take care of the basketball and get the ball to the guys that need it in the positions where they like it, he, he said, Stephen, I guarantee you 
I can't guarantee you'll start, but I guarantee you'll get playing time. Well, there was a two-mile run that Lou Henson used to do at the beginning of uh, training camp just to see where guys are conditioning-wise. And for four years, I won that race. Now, as a junior and senior, I didn't have to win that race because I, you know, I thought I had established myself. But it was those habits that I learned growing up in that Bardo household in Carbondale. It was like, look, you know, if if you're not going to give your best, don't show up. You know, you you just can't show up and, and, you know, half effort your way through life. If you're going to show up, be your best so that you can be proud of yourself when you walk off the floor. And so that's what I did. And so every practice, I broke it down. Brett, not thinking of a season, I thought about what can I do today? Who can I help on the team? Who's struggling that I can go to and give some encouragement? Who can I get the ball to to get them going? You know, for example, Larry Smith, tremendously talented guard that played with us in Illinois from Alton, Illinois. Larry didn't have the benefit of a father that played college basketball that was a college professor. He didn't have those. And so he would go in extremely talented, but he got over a lot of times in high school because of his talent. He didn't necessarily establish good work habits. And I ran circles around him for four years. He was more talented. Larry Smith was more talented than Kendall Gill and Nick Anderson. We all came in as freshmen. He's the most talented freshman, but he had the worst work ethic. When you don't establish those good work habits early on and you're trying to develop those as as an adult, it's very, very difficult. So that's, you know, my take on hard work and how I try to pass down to my uh, son that whatever you're going to get into, show up early, stay a little bit later, you know, see somebody that's struggling and help them out. You know, these are very basic things, Brett, that a lot of people overlook that can have a tremendous impact on, on their situation. Yeah, I think it's the, the little things or the, the what adds up to the big things, right? I mean, it's the daily choices we make. You said it great. I wrote it down. You know, don't break it down over the season. I think so many people say, okay, what am I going to do in 2017? And that can be overwhelming, right? But if you break it down to what can I do today, and I do it again today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, that's going to make a great 2017, right? That's right. You can look at education, business, uh, law, medicine. You can look at any profession. And the top performers in those professions, they have what I call execution plans. A lot of people are starting to look at goal setting differently because when you set goals, Brett, you don't have – you're taking a lot of things for granted. You don't have control over a lot of that stuff. But an execution plan, did I do what I needed to do today? Can I check off the three things that I absolutely had to do to the best of my ability? If you can do that for 30 straight days, you will see improvement. If you can do that for 365 days, you will see tremendous improvement. And what happens is uh, it looks like you're an overnight success. Yeah, for 10 years, every day, right. building, doing, doing this execution plan, yeah, it looks like an overnight success. But anybody in any career, I don't care who it is, if they're successful, they're at the top of their game, they have execution plans, not necessarily something that's projected out into the future. They're trying to hit their mark every single day. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think we talk about this in our firm, uh, Visionary Wealth Advisors, but one of the things I'm doing now as a leader, is I, th- I believe in reading, right? My, my dad my parents always said that the people you surround yourself with and the books you read are going to make you a better person, right? And so I got away from reading as life gets busy, and so now I've just committed over the last couple months, I'm going to read a book a month. It's 10 pages a day. And so if I read 10 pages a day and I end up reading 12 books this year, and Stephen Bardo reads zero books this year, who's going to be better one year from today? And then forecast that right five years from today, who's going to be better, me or you? Oh, it's definitely going to be you. And, you know, Brett, you hit on something really uh, fascinating. I think it must be that you and I are reading some of the same books uh, because I got that same advice in terms of reading 10 to 20 pages a day. And when I go to talk to young people, this is what I tell them. If you will simply read 30 minutes a day on something that you like, not something that you don't like, I'm trying to get young people to think about reading what they do like. Because, Brett, what you've done and what I try to show young people is if you read 20, 10 to 20 pages a day or 30 minutes, you will end up reading probably 
10 to 15 books a year. At the rate of 10 to 15 books in three years, you will be an authority in your area of study. In five years, you'll be a national uh, uh, expert, and in seven years, you can be an international expert. And kids look at me puzzled when, they, when I say this, Brett, and I say, listen, when the, the average United States adult reads less than three books a year and you're reading 10 to 15 books a year on the subject that you like, that you're passionate about, I said, guys, you, you know, you can't get away from one video game or one television show or, you know, the texting and the social media stuff to be great in 30 minutes a day or 10 to, 10 to 20 pages like you were talking about, it sounds, it sounds too simple to, to be true, but it is. And, you know, yeah. the, the, numbers point, the, the numbers bear that out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about that daily execution plan you were talking about. Give our listeners some examples of what you find some of the, the best people and whether you said, like, you know, the, the world of finance or law or medical or whatever it may be. What are you finding every day that the people that are best in the world are focusing on each day? Typically, any, any career or business or, you know, situation has three to five key exercises that you can do. Um, a lot of times in business, it's can you get on the phone and, and make those calls, generate uh, that action in the marketplace? Um, are, are you going back to existing client, clients and making sure that they're uh, serviced well, that you're bringing them extra value so that they stay uh, – you know, your clients because it's much uh, more economically sound to take care of your, your current clients than it is to go out and get new ones. So there's three to five uh, core exercises for every uh, situation. And like what I see, uh, for an example, I'm starting to hang around these uh, guys that develop real estate. And one of the things uh, that Orlando does, this young man uh, that I know, Orlando, he reads, I want to say, 12 publications or 12 newspapers or something like that a day, all in the Chicago area, all the different newspapers every day. He reads them because he wants to get insight on uh, divorce court, uh, all the different things that happen in court that, that can mean transition of real estate he, he has like five different things that he does but the one that really impressed me was that he reads all the local papers in the chicagoland area every single one of them so i believe it's 12 to 15 per day and he keeps his finger on the pulse of what's going on and so when he's able to get these deals people keep looking like you know orlando you, you must you must have a great network you must be written no he said no i get the Sun-Times, the Tribune, the Daily Herald. I mean, he rips them off. And Brett is fascinating because I've seen him do it. And then, he, you know, he ends up getting property that other people can't get solely because he's doing these three to five basic fundamentals, like sports, three to five fundamentals every day, and it's really made a difference in his business. Yeah, I think what you're talking about here is grit, right? I mean, it's just pure hard yeah. work, just pure grit. That's right. And I think, you know, that, that's the difference maker. That I think, you know, we always talk about be a student of the game. I mean, whatever your industry is, you know, if it's real estate, finance, law, medical, I mean, you, you've got to be the student of the game and uh, participate every single day, I mean, even on the weekends, right? It doesn't stop. So I think no, a big one, too, stop. is uh, you're, you're still uh, obviously in shape uh, by the things I see in today's world. So i, I got to think fitness is in your life as well. What's that like for you in the business world now? And how important is your fitness? It's paramount because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Uh, you know, I'm not – Brett, do you have a family? I do. I have four Are boys, you? yep, and a wife. Oh, my gosh. You, oh, your wife is <laughs> the medal. Bless her <laughs> yes, heart. Yes, she does. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, uh, you know, so when you are looking um, at trying to work hard and, and do these things and, and build a secure future for your family – it doesn't matter if you don't have your health because I think, you know, your four sons and my two sons would much rather have us around as opposed to being maybe financially set or being taken care of, but their dad is dead because they didn't take care of themselves. So I try yep. to go at least four, at least four to five times a week. I try to get some cardio and resistance training. I used to lift a lot of weight, uh, but I've been watching Kendall a lot. and I, I, Kendall Gill and I uh, stay in contact quite often. 
he's gotten off the weights because, you know, he talks about how it breaks down your body. And when you're younger, you can replenish a lot easier. When you start to get high 40s, I'm 49, my body doesn't respond as well anymore to that breaking the muscle down and building back up. So I, I do a lot more body weight stuff, a lot more calisthenics, uh, TRX training, resistance training. But it's important, Brett, because I take 70 flights in about 100 days during the basketball season. That's, a, that's an incredible load. And if you don't have a way to push the reset button, to sweat, to get your heart rate up, to, uh, you know, clear your mind, because exercise helps me clear my mind, you know, I get more oxygen to my brain. Uh, so I, I, I really, that's important. But I will say this, the, the, the exercise is important. But as we get older, diet is 85 to 90% of what we're trying to do. I used to date a uh, physical, uh, a uh, not a physical trainer. She was a, uh, she got her own training business where she is a health coach and she does a holistic thing and works her clients out. But uh, she used to really stress to me that, you know, if I control my diet through the season, I won't gain any weight. I will maintain my energy level. Even if I miss workouts that I'm trying to hit, due to travel, she said, if you really focus on your diet, it will make the biggest difference in the world. And, and she was spot on. So although the exercise is very important because you want to hit that reset button, the diet is, is, is critical. You, now you help people leveraging opportunities and maximize performance. So let's talk about leveraging opportunities. What's that mean to you? Leveraging opportunities, um, you know, we, we live in the most uh, bountiful country in the world, the where there's more opportunities here than anywhere else in the world. And every human being as an adult has an opportunity to make a decision today that can change the rest of their lives. And so what I try to get people when I go and speak to corporations and organizations is to understand that you are, it's a pressurized situation. Any, any, any company in the United States right now is in competition. Um, so we know that you're working hard. We know that you want you, you have your intentions in the right place, but are you going to look at this situation as a negative? You know, uh, I, I want I want a promotion. I didn't get promoted. Um, well, what did you do? Or you know, I, I would like this job opportunity, but you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm qualified. Why not? So what I try to do, Brett, is to, to really break it down to people and turn the mirror on themselves and say, look. Have you done everything that you can do to leverage this opportunity? To get people to think about if they are, if they work for themselves or they work within an organization, to be an entrepreneur in, in, in your mindset. You're running Stephen Bardo Inc., whether you work for the Big Ten Network, you work for Fox, Yahoo, the W, doesn't matter. You're still Stephen Bardo Inc. or Kendall Gill Inc., regardless of where you find yourself. You are your own business. And if you look at yourself as your own business, then every day that you get a chance to walk into that company, you have an opportunity to make a difference. You have an opportunity to leverage opportunities and maximize your performance. And it, it, those are big words, Brett. They sound good. But basically, it's self-accountability. It, it, it's peak yeah. performance. Can, can you show up every day and say, you know what, I am tired today because I gave it my all. You know, I, I, I got in the office, I cleared that, that block, that hour and a half block that I needed to bang out this important memo, or did I go to and, and get to a meeting and kill time and, and blow things off and then come home stressed because now you got to spend time with your family, but you're stressed because you didn't maximize your opportunity at work. So that's kind of what I try to get people to do is look at themselves Turn the mirror on yourself. Quit pointing the fingers at everybody else. And when you, I, I found as an adult, when I look in, internally and I point the mirror back at me and I, and I maximize what I'm doing, then everything else takes care of itself. And the results are usually better than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, I think you said it well when you talk about Stephen Bardo, Inc. is showing up every day. It's betting on yourself, right? And I think, you know, so when you look at that, there's people driving right now, listening to this, there's people working out, doing whatever they're doing. You know, what would you tell the person that's fearful of uh, believing in Stephen Bardo, Inc., right? That, yeah, but I work for corporate America. I've, I've got it good right now, but 
but they're kind of holding their self back. They're holding their dreams back. And that's one thing that you know, I'm very, very passionate about, right, is believing in yourself and, and believing in the team around you because we all have to have great people. But what would you tell them to, to move forward, move past, take the risk, bet on themselves, and, and make it happen? Well, Brett, I, I would say when you don't have that mentality, then you're, you're, you're already behind. And what I mean by that, things are shifting so rapidly in our world, really, but in our marketplace in the United States, you know, what was once a strong industry seven years ago might be obsolete. I mean, Circuit City, it wasn't long ago that Circuit City had over, uh, I believe, 250 stores in the United States. It wasn't long ago that Blockbuster was a household name and in every town and city in the United States. So things are shifting so quickly. I would encourage people to go get James Altucher's book, Choose Yourself. And here, and here, I'm going to give you a, a tidbit here, Brett. I don't know if you're familiar with James Altucher. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So you, you may know about this, but your listeners may not. If you go on James Altucher's website and you find out his contact information and you write him a letter saying that you heard about his book on a podcast and that you heard that if you write him a letter, he will send you a free copy of his book, Choose Yourself. I've told four people to do it. Two of them followed up on it, and two of them had the book. And it's changed their lives. It has really changed their lives. Because James Altucher is going to show people that you better choose, choose yourself, you better upgrade your skill set, because things are shifting and they're changing. And if you're not paying attention and you're not bringing your best self every day to your situation, you're going to get axed out. And so that's what I would tell people is really go look up James Altucher. He's a very good example of a person that says he preaches it, choose yourself, because if you don't, someone will choose your fate for you. Well, I'm actually a little fearful as you sit here and say that because I don't know. I've never heard of this guy before until about two weeks ago. So somehow like Instagram and Facebook must know you're connected to him somehow because it keeps showing up as a sponsored ad on my Facebook feed, this guy, uh, this James guy. And so it's kind of funny you're saying that. So I'm definitely going to have to take you up on it. I'll do it. And hopefully our listeners will as well. So, uh, that's, that's crazy stuff. So um, let's talk about what, what does it mean to be a visionary? When you hear the word visionary, what's that mean to you? A visionary is, is typically aligned with a leader, uh, but, but visionaries can be people who have the ability to kind of look at their current situation and look into the future. And when I, when I think of visionaries, I think of people like yourself who are well-read, because, again, you know, it, it's funny that we have these themes that we keep coming back to. But when you're well-read in your industry, you can anticipate what's coming because you're, you're hearing about trends. You're seeing how other things are affecting your industry. And so, you know, when you're able to read, stay abreast of what's happening not only in the world but within your particular industry or field, then you can be a visionary because you can see, you can start to – piece things together from your own personal experiences, from history, from what you're reading, you can start to piece together what is likely to happen moving forward. So when I, when I think of visionaries, I think of people who are, one, well-read, two, people who pay very close attention to those around them in the situation that they're in. A lot of times, most of us are running around and we're unconscious. We're not really conscious in the moment. We're either thinking about something that happened yesterday uh, something that's going on at home, a honeydew list, something that I have to do ahead of time as opposed to being in the present here and now. And visionaries have a very good way of looking forward shortly but actually maintaining a present state of mind the majority of the time. So those are some of the things that I, that I associate with visionaries. I like it. I like it. So let's walk through now the circuit of success. You and I talked about this before we started recording, but that, that top left pillar, uh, if you will, of, of defining success and being able to become successful is attitude. So when you hear the word attitude, what comes to mind for Stephen Bardo? Wow, attitude is huge uh, because we, we can't ever control what happens to us, but every single time, 100% of the time, we have control of how we respond to it. And so attitude uh, for me, has has been huge because I've had mine on display through sports, and then I've had 
mine on display on national television when I'm calling games. And attitude is something that is really tricky, Brett, in my opinion, because, you know, you, you have different types of people. You have hotheads. You have introverts. You have, you know, you have followers. You have people who will strike out and lead. And, and so when you take all these different types of people and their personalities and you talk about attitude, it's really fascinating uh, to see people and how they can manipulate their attitude in different situations to either make, put themselves in a, in a worse situation or really elevate their situation. So for me, attitude is always about that small pause of when something happens to you, you have a small pause, and you have to remember who you are and, what, and how you want to be viewed and then respond in like. Now, I'd say I'd pretty good at that about 40% of the time because I'm a hothead. I have a quick <laughs> temper. Um, I've learned to, to deal with it better, but I have a quick temper. So about 40 to 45% of the time, it's getting, and it's getting better the older I get, but I still struggle with that from time to time. So I look at attitude is, is almost all about how you respond to your circumstances and what are you going to do about it. Yep. Yeah, so then we talk about the attitude, and then that leads over. There's a little fence, and, again, people can see this on our website, circuitsuccess.com, and, Stephen, you can check it out if you want to see the diagram ever. But So the attitude, there, there's this thing called rejection, right? So we, we get up every day. I believe in attitude. We choose it, right? I can choose to have a good one. I can choose to have a bad one. We can have a good one, right? We get up. We're fired up for the day. You get to the office, and there's that little red light blinking on your phone. That could be some rejection in there. Then, so the next pillar really comes down to those beliefs, right? Because the rejection is trying to change your attitude. It's trying to make you have a bad day. But our beliefs, in my opinion, is the core to what makes you stay successful. So what are the beliefs that you have? You've seen others. You've been around some of the, you know, the greatest athletes in the world, now people in commentary and business. I mean, what is, what is the common theme for you and for others that are the beliefs that make you successful? For me, I've been very fortunate because I've been able to live my life through the lens of basketball. So I, I can use the terminology of basketball um, to identify anything that goes on in life. And so my beliefs, what I like when I look at a team, when I look at a championship team, because I've been on poor teams, I've been on championship-level teams, what I like is people or, or beliefs of loyalty. Loyalty is extremely important. And, you know, I think, I think it's one of those beliefs that's overlooked, to be, to be loyal, to seek people who are loyal. That, that, that's critical. Um, another belief, and what I think is, is critically important, is always understand that someone's hurting. I have a belief that I have a way to connect with people. That's something that God gave me. Uh, I can connect with people very quickly. But people always have a, everybody has a story. And a lot of times people are struggling. And so in this country, in the United States, we're taught to put a good face on what you're doing every day and not really kind of open up and tell people, look, man, you know, my marriage is failing or, you know, I'm having a tough time with my teenage son. I'm having a tough time connecting with him. One of my beliefs is that in order to really get the most out of people, you have to give some as well. So when I try to connect with people, Brett, I give them – a sense of where I struggled uh, when I didn't do something. Right. That, I think that's because people. Too. We, we've talked about that. Sorry, we talked about that in the past with people. Is every relationship is fifty-fifty, right? If you're giving yep. me seventy-five and I'm giving you twenty-five, that's not a great recipe for success for our relationship. That's right. And it, it, the, the world is based on relationships. We don't we don't tend to think that a lot, but nothing gets done without people. And people are all, we're all tied based on these relationships. And so, you know, a strong belief for me is that I want to be around people who are loyal, but I also want to be around people who are real and who, who, who can, you know, hey, man, I, I didn't like what you said. You know, I didn't, I didn't think that was appropriate. Okay, let's, let's, let's figure it out. Instead of, instead of not saying anything, harboring, you know, uh, you know, ill will, and then we get to the fourth quarter of a critical situation, and all of a sudden, that, that comes up in the back of a teammate's head, and it, it denies you the opportunity to do something special. Or, you know, you could take that to a business. Same thing. And so those, are, those two are, are really key to me as being loyal and being open and honest 
with your teammates, your coworkers, and the people who you have relationships with because those two belief systems right there, everything else, in my opinion, can kind of blend off of those. But if you don't have loyalty and you're not real, it's not a whole lot. You, can, you can't really get deep in relationships without those. Right. I'm going to digress a little bit here. Um, did you watch the Cavs-Warriors game? I did. I did. Okay, so so talk us through. I mean, you played in the NBA. You played at the highest level possible. I'm sitting there with two of my boys watching the game, and I'm like, you know, Cleveland's up. They they were basically up the whole game, it felt like, in the second half, right, until the last mm-hmm. couple minutes. What do you think, I mean, from a commentary standpoint and a basketball player, I mean, what, what do you see that happens mentally? I'm I'm so focused on the mental side of that. What happens mentally in that game that changed what happened? Kevin Durant goes down, makes a three-pointer. You knew at that point the game's over. What happened? There was a sequence uh, about the three-minute mark or 3.30 mark. There were several loose ball situations, 50-50 balls, we call them on television, where either team can come up with a possession. I don't know if you remember, Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green got tied up. There was a jump ball. Oh, yeah. And – Tristan Thompson is an athletic 6'11 forward. Draymond Green might be 6'7 with not a lot of athleticism. That jump <laughs> ball, Draymond Green got that jump ball because, one, he, 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 he outsmarted Thompson because Thompson didn't think, like, look, Draymond Green is not going to sit here and try to gather and jump with me. He's got to do it quick because if he doesn't get it quick, he can't, he can't outjump me. But Thompson, what I don't think he was thinking. And at that moment, when Golden State got that ball, I saw LeBron James' body uh, language sad. Oh, he was so Mm -hmm. upset, Brett, that they did not secure that ball in that situation. That was the beginning of the end. And from that point, you could see LeBron tired, first of all, because he had been playing so hard. He'd been going all out, trying to go one-on-one. He was tired. But when he, they did not get that jump ball, his body language, he tried to disguise it. But I'm, I've got a trained eye. I can see these things. He was so upset. And, it, and it, I think his teammates could feel that he was upset that we did not secure that ball, that at that juncture, the game was over. And, and Cleveland at that point, Brett, was still up. But they had lost the mental game. And it was just a matter of time before the physical outcome of the emotional state of the Cavaliers revealed itself, and that's what we saw in the last few minutes. Yeah. Well, I think that's phenomenal what you just talked about there because the amateurs like us, right, we don't see that play, but I can remember saying to my kids last night that, like, Kyrie Irving was basically trying to take over, right? Like, oh, LeBron almost checked out. And so I think you're right. It just sucked the energy right out of him. It's not having that teammate, to your point earlier, that teammate that's not willing to give 150% in the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals that's got to be very, very frustrating. So, so I digress. I'm glad we talked about that because that's uh, valid, valid points there. So then the activities, right? So we got our beliefs. Um, you know, you could tell me all day long that if you do X, Y, and Z, Brett, you're going to be successful. Well, I've got to have faith, right? I've got to have faith that I believe that, right? And so that other fence post coming down from beliefs to activities is faith. So what are the activities you got to do? And we talked about this. So we don't have to spend a bunch of time on it. I'm assuming that's your execution plan that you talked about, right? Your activities. It is, and and the the execution um, chart. I have a weekly chart that I got from uh, Success Magazine founder or uh, editor, and his name is escaping me right now. But he's a phenomenal speaker, and he came up with a uh, weekly rhythm execution plan. And so it, it's, it's a basic uh, chart that allows you to have your three to five key exercise on the right side, how many times you're going to do them per week. And then it gives you a, a chart with just Monday, Tuesday, you know, just all the way through Sunday. It gives you a box. You can check it if you didn't do it. If you did do it, you can check it. If you didn't, it's empty. And what happens, it gives you a visual of, okay, this week was pretty good. I need to pick up here. Or, wow, I really killed it this week. This is great. So that's kind of – and, and you talked about faith, Brett. See, I, when I share this with young kids all the time. When you start to get good at something and when you do something over and over again and you take it out of a conscious place to a subconscious place where you practice this and your muscles know it, and all of a sudden your faith develops. You didn't necessarily have faith at the beginning, but 
doing it over and over and over again, your faith starts to grow. You've heard the term fake it till you make it. There's a there's oh, yeah. validity in that. There's a lot of validity in that. Because a lot of times we may not have faith going into a very difficult situation that we don't have experience in. But if we continue to stay to our principles and our exercise and get those three to five every single day that like we're supposed to do, in my experience, the faith starts to grow. Those exercises become a little bit easier, and now you're able to expand what you're trying to do because you had that mustard seed of faith, and now it's grown. Yeah, so then ultimately after activities, you have uh, the courage and the discipline, right? we got to have courage and discipline every single day, whether it's picking up the phone, whether it's the discipline to read the newspaper, 12 different newspapers to find the deals, right? The deals don't just happen. You don't just get lucky. You've got to have courage and you've got to have discipline every single day to make it happen, right? The courage to pick There's up no- the phone and call somebody, right? I mean, the courage to call Stephen Bardo and say, I want you in my podcast, right? you just got to ask right. for it, and then it happens. You're right. And a lot of times when I speak to the, the audiences that I talk to, young people, you know, our educational system uh, lacks a lot, in my opinion. And unfortunately, we're not teaching our kids that there really is no failure. It's all feedback. So when you talk about courage and discipline, when young people start out doing so, or even adults that, that, that may have a career shift or want to pick up a, something different, you don't have a lot of courage at the beginning. You may be excited, but if you, if you're, if you don't have self-doubt in your head, you're not a human being. That's, that's part of being a human. We have doubt. We have self-doubt. But what happens is if you start out on a path and you keep, you keep at it and that discipline kicks in over the fear of not getting what you want or like I tell kids all the time, I got cut waves of release 16 times in the NBA and they look at me like I'm crazy. And like, well, why would you keep pushing, you know, that hard at the NBA? I said, because that's what I dreamed about playing in the NBA. Now, eventually, I got away from that, and I transitioned overseas and was able to make some decisions to solve the waste of money later on and continue my career. But I got cut away to release 16 times from the NBA. And it wasn't because I, I, nobody in my family had played in the NBA, but I had enough discipline and belief and faith in myself that I'm going to continue to – to, to push it. I, I, you know, God gave me this ability in this body to utilize this in this way, and if there are 16 teams that don't believe me, well, there's 14 more because there's 30 in the NBA. 16 told me, no, there's 14 more opportunities. And so it's, it, they, were, they felt like failures at the time because I had a wife and my oldest son at the time, and we moved something like 29 times in the first five or six years of my career, and I was, you know, there was a point where I was wondering why my Marriage didn't last. Well, <laughs> that, that's part of it, but I, I digress. But it, there is no failure. It's just feedback. And it, it, if you look at it like that, the courage and the discipline all kick in. And if, you, if, you're, if you're like, look, I, I know I can do this. I think I can do this. i got to keep trying. And you just keep, you keep pushing, and it's like, okay, Atlanta didn't like me because they brought back Sidney Moncrief out of retirement. Can't do anything about that. Detroit didn't like me because of whatever. Dallas didn't like me because, you know, and you take, the, you take that, that feedback and you go to work again. And then you, you hopefully that you come out better on the other end. And so that's where courage and discipline and failure, there is no failure. It's only feedback. Those things, that kind of triangle to me uh, really is, is important for people. Yeah, and I think, too, back to the beliefs, I mean, that's one of the things I say is, believe in goal achievement, believe in self, right? You believed in your goal. You believed in playing the NBA. You believed in yourself. I mean, so those are all, again, the, the depth of those beliefs. There has to be more than just, well, I want to play in the NBA, right? I believe there's got to be 15 or 20 reasons why you want to play in the NBA for you to make it happen. Oh, there's no doubt. You, so, you, you have to have the belief. And, you know, like you said, if you don't have a the belief, then you're quick, quickly. And you, you yeah. can typically tell people who are kind of in it, fly by night, uh, in any situation if they're not totally committed. And so that's, that the beliefs are, are extremely important. Yeah. So I've, I, well, ultimately the last uh, pillar here is results, right? And so we won't spend any, really any time on that because results are results, right? There's a scoreboard in the NBA game for a reason. We want to know the result. We want to know the score. And so ultimately you have to get results to be successful. But what I talk about that, that fence that goes from results 
back up to attitude to connect square there is vision, right? And so I carry with me every single day uh, something. It's in my briefcase at all times, and it's something I wrote down in 2003. I had four people uh, in my firm, you know, sign that, and they, they held me accountable to it. And so I carry it with me to show the things when you write down, you put a team around it, all the things that can happen in your life when you put all this stuff together, this recipe for success that we give each week, is that's what it takes. you got to write it down, but it creates a new vision. Because ultimately, you know, 16 years ago when I started in this business, those goals are much different than my goals and my vision and my reality today, right? So when you think about that, what's your vision? When you see Stephen Bardo's life five years from now and ten years from now, you're going to be a visionary. What's the vision? What do you see? I see myself moving much more closer to a life of service. You know, I, I'm financially fine. Uh, am I where I want to be? No, but most people aren't. Uh, but I'm working towards that, and I, I'm comfortable. I can't – I don't think, Brett, that I've been given the opportunity to play basketball at every level and now to transition and be able to commentate basketball just for my own benefit. I believe that there's something bigger for me to have more impact on people. On, on, in particular, I'm, I'm crazy about impacting young people's lives, you know, uh, grade school, high school, college because they have everything in front of them. And so I, in, in five to ten years, uh, I started a nonprofit called On Point Leadership, and what I'm trying to do is start at the third and sixth grade levels here in some of the toughest neighborhoods in Chicago and the south and west sides where all the violence is occurring and try to get these young basketball players to understand and take a leadership role in their community because they, they are some of the most highly visible citizens of their community because they are star basketball players, even they're, they're identified as early as third to sixth grade. Also, third to sixth grade is a gang initiation time. And so we're, I'm, I'm trying to go up against some of the negative influences in these larger cities. And so five to ten years from now, I hope to be able to trans, transition into some full-time work, probably more like ten years, uh, transition into full-time work around this nonprofit work because I think our kids desperately need it. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Because, again, if you're, you're putting bad in the brain, you're going to get bad. You're putting good in the brain, you're going to get good, right? It's, it's very simple, what we talked about earlier. So, yeah, man, great great job on doing that, and best of luck. All right, let's go back to uh, 1989. Let's talk about that moment. Um, you guys go to the Final Four. You're one of the best teams in the country that year. I think you ended the year at, what, ranked number three in the country. You beat 11 top 20 teams which that's, that's amazing. So arguably one of the greatest teams ever to play basketball. Talk to us about that Final Four. Well, the Final Four was a dream come true for me. I, I had watched Daryl uh, uh, Griffith, Dr. Duncan Stein from Louisville, Jack Goose Givens from Kentucky, uh, Kelly Trapuca from Notre Dame, uh, Clark Kellogg at Ohio State. I mean, I watched a lot of basketball growing up. And I watched every Final Four, and I dreamed about playing in it. And so, um, you know, you get to Seattle and the now uh, torn down kingdom, but there were 50,000, 60,000 people in there. And it's the coolest thing because as we're getting ready to run out on the floor, the, loud, the, the announcer says representing the Midwest region, the number one seed, Fighting Illini, University of Illinois. And there's this roar, Brett. It's crazy. It's like it's, it's, not, it's unlike anything I've ever heard, and I froze. Like, we're supposed to run out on the court, and my knees buckled and I froze. And what was happening was, like the deja vu uh, phenomenon, I was realizing a dream, and I realized it in that moment. So all those final fours I saw flashed in front of my, you know, in my mind. And it felt like I was stuck for about seven to eight seconds. I probably was doing it for about a second or two. And then Kendall, like, knocked me upside the head, like, come on, man, let's go. And then we ran out <laughs> on the court, got beat on a last-second shot. But it was a... It was a fantastic experience. Um, it was one I'll never forget. It is, it's been um, that team and that effect that we had on the Illini Nation and college basketball in general um, was phenomenal. And just that whole ride and the stories that uh, came about and the friendships and the experiences and all of that, was, it was just a tremendous thing. And, and the game itself was a fantastic uh, game. I mean, People don't remember Brett, but that, that Michigan team had eight guys playing on the NBA. 
I think the record has been broken before a good 20 years, I think, even with the Duke-UNLV uh, games. I think that Illinois-Michigan Final Four may have had more guys. We had 13 total that played in the NBA from, the, from those two teams. I believe wow. for about 15 to 20 years that was a record. So that Michigan team was outstanding. Uh, Steve Fisher did an outstanding job, if you remember. He took over for Bill Frieder at the beginning of the, of the NCAA tournament. That's why, in my opinion, Glenn Rice had an outstanding uh, run, but a lot of it had to do with the adjustments that Steve Fisher made, and it was just a fantastic ball game. I, I tip my hat to Michigan because they made a couple of adjustments that we hadn't seen all season, and it was enough to, to slow it down enough for them to get the victory. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I guess I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. And that, that led to him being successful and having a great career at Michigan. Yeah, he had a great career at Michigan. And then, you know, quietly went out to San Diego State, which really didn't have any basketball program to speak of, and he built that into a power out there. So Steve Fisher's done a he, – in my opinion, definitely one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball. So here's a question for you. I think I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So one of my friends, uh, Blair Russell, wants to know, What's the best Illini team? Is it your team, 1989, or is it the Darren Williams, D. Brown, 2005 team? Who's winning? Oh, who's going to win the game? Yeah. Oh, the flying Illini, we're winning now. <laughs> who's the most successful is the 2005 team because they got the national championship game. They were undefeated. They were number one in the country for the majority of that season. So in terms of most successful team in Illinois history, it was the 2005. But who would win, uh, we, we, we would beat them. And I think if we did a seven-game series, we would still beat them. Uh, because a lot of people, I remember um, talking to Dick Vitale about it, and Dick was like, you know, well, I covered both teams, and I think I think the 2005 team would beat you. And I said, Dick, let me, let me explain something to you. <laughs> Which one of the guards isn't scoring? Because you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to D somebody up. So somebody's not getting their average. <laughs> And I didn't right. have to score my average for us to win. But I'm shutting down D, Darren, or uh, Luther. One of the three is getting shut down. And, it, and who, who's D. Brown going to guard on the, on the defensive end? He's going to guard 6'5", Kendall Gill, 6'6", six Stephen Bardo, 6'5", six Nick Anderson, 6'6", six six Kenny Battle, or 6'7", Lowell Hamilton. Who's he guarding? And so uh, uh, <laughs> Dick thought about it for a second, and he's like, that's a great point, but I still like 2005. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Even though he's the guy yeah. that coined the phrase flying a line, right? Yes, he did. And he, he yeah. loved our team. Yes, loved he did. Him. That was fun, man. Well, that's, uh, that's great stuff. And then where can our listeners find more of uh, Stephen Barton today? You're a social media guy? Where are you at? Yeah, I'm on uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all Stephen Bardo, just at Stephen Bardo. And then uh, okay. my, my uh, website, same, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Bardo, B-A-R-D-O.com. All right, my man. Well, we'll send traffic your way for sure, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the circuit of success. We live in small days, and then also hearing just, man, how you built the life you built, and uh, lots of great takeaways. I took over a page of notes here. So great stuff. Thanks for being on the show, and I appreciate it. Oh, no, my pleasure. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.